MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. Welcome into Go Fight Win, the show with all the high school football stories you love. On this week's episode, I'll speak with a war damn eagle, Cole Kublik, a genius of college film review. But before he learned how to play and do all that film study at Auburn, he had a remarkable high school career in Birmingham, Alabama, and Cole has some stories to share. You don't want to miss that. Plus, a listener-submitted story about the time his high school football coach installed an entirely new offense at a highway rest station just hours before kickoff. A questionable strategy. We'll see how it worked out for him. Plus, an assortment of the greatest high school football headlines from around the country, including Spygate with a coach's wife and the quarterback's mom, a brawl at a rivalry in Washington State known as the Fish Bowl, and a Texas high school football field that still has a bone to pick decades after it was built upon a burial ground. Pretty spooky stuff. It's time for Go Fight Win. Huddle up! Episode A to Go Fight Win. What a time to listen to high school football stories. It is October. It's crisp. Things are getting spooky. And we are still committed to going and fighting and winning right here on Go Fight Win. I'm your host, Wes Blankenship, and I invite you to hit subscribe. Tell people about this show that you know. If you're plugged into your high school football community, you're on the uh, Booster Club, you know the coach, share the show with them. Help us grow it with the people who actually live this stuff day in and day out as we continue to grow. We got a loyal audience here, and that is all I could hope for and all I could ask for. But I know that y'all have people that need to hear this show. Let them know about it. Don't let them be strangers to it. We have hats, shirts, and mugs at GoCoffeeTown.com. I think we even have a mouse pad for you to use. I was flying back from Pittsburgh over the weekend wearing my Go Coffee Town hat that I got on right here. And the uh, gentleman sitting next to me was from West Virginia. He said, 
where's Coffee Town? You know, they love their high school football in West Virginia. Told him all about it, and he may just be listening to this week's episode. Welcome, sir. Welcome to everyone from the state of West Virginia and beyond. It's time to talk about some phenomenal high school football stories, starting up in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon, where a coach's wife and mother of the quarterback for Tigard High School was accused of a Spygate controversy against uh, Tigard's opponent, Tigard, not Tiger, Tigard, Tigard, Tigard with a D on the end. They were playing Lake Ridge. And the week of the game, the interim coach's wife, all right, interim coach Ken Feist, uh, his wife Corey Feist was accused of filming practice at Lake Ridge. She says that she was there for her daughter's event. It's unspecified what kind of event was going on. Dance recital, talent show, uh, cook-off in the cafeteria. I don't know what it was. The article here does not specify from high school FN powered by SB Live. Whatever that is, they got the story, and it's a good one. So congratulations to them. Well, uh, Tigard launched an internal investigation and found no need to uh, act any further. Of course they didn't. Okay. I'm not saying anything was going on, but the internal investigation from the team accused of the Spygate generally gets off the hook is what happens there. Well, how'd the game go? Lake Ridge playing Tigard and Lake Ridge won 30 to nine. And Lake Ridge's student section was on point. High school football student sections have the sharpest wit. They have the most effectiveness. They are efficient with their burns, their digs, everything they're going to do to get after you verbally, they're going to do it. So while the game was going on and it was getting out of hand, Lake Ridge's student section routinely made references to the practiced film story with chants of, you can't film us. Film the scoreboard. You should film this. Lake Ridge won 30 to 9. And high school film study, whether it's gathered legally or illegally, is not going to help you against what uh, Lake Ridge had going on. USC commit Joey Olson, senior wide receiver, said it was a funny joke looking back. I ain't going to say if she did it or didn't do it. But we came out here and eliminated distractions and we balled. You can't really focus on all that. You've just got to go out there and play football. Here's what Olsen did. The 6'5", 240-pounder had 11 catches for 151 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of that on film. And you probably saw a lot of it in the practice film. If you did it, if you actually did it. You know, she said that she was just going to the event, but she was hanging out around the practice field for a while. The witnesses say and pointing her camera towards the field. Was it a selfie on the perimeter of the practice field, just letting people know she was there for her daughter's event, or was she actually spy-gating? Spy-gate, a reference, of course, to the Patriots who were accused of filming practices and stealing information and all that. This stuff goes on, and it's only more difficult to eliminate it in this day and age of technology. I'm sure people have had to uh, take down some drones, a good way to work on your punter's accuracy, to take down the drones, knock those down, that kind of thing. People hiding in the woods. We had pine trees around our high school football field. And every time we lost, we just swore that somebody from one of our region rivals was hanging up there in the pines, getting sappy and uh, filming us doing our thing. But uh, Lake Ridge gets the win. 
And the head coach of Lake Ridge had some good perspective here. Spencer Phillips said the incident was unfortunate, but it's under the bridge now. While Phillips maintains that he, quote, knows what he saw, he gained perspective of what matters in life after finding out by phone that one of his former players, Barrett Bevacqua, died in a plane crash that same day. Life comes at you fast and it puts life in perspective, Phillips said. It is what it is. Whatever the filming incident is, is kind of funny now. I have no disrespect or hard feelings towards anyone, and I'm really just trying to focus on being able to mourn the loss of one of my favorite people and players. The incident is really silly, and I hope we can just let it go. Well, that is some good perspective, and we are uh, just tremendously sorry. Myself, and I'm sure the listeners here at Go Fight Win, for a, a loss of that magnitude, and that is certainly something that will put an accusation like that into perspective um, as Lake Ridge continues on and Tigard now knows if you want to film practice, you're going to have to try a little bit harder. Elsewhere in the Pacific Northwest, take you to a rivalry game known as the Fish Bowl. This is between Gig Harbor and Peninsula. Now, Gig Harbor and Peninsula play in a, a bay up there in Washington State. So the fish bowl, of course, a reference to all the fish they haul in, a lot of salmon, some pike, maybe some walleye. I'm not really sure about the uh, flora and fauna up there, but I'm sure that they got plenty of salmons to haul in just by the net full, by the boat full. Well, what happened here, according to the News Tribune, uh, the story says that several Gig Harbor High School coaches were disciplined and not allowed to coach in the team's game against Capital, a week after tempers flared at the fishbowl rivalry game against Peninsula, multiple sources told the News Tribune. The coaches were back on the sideline the following week when Gig Harbor traveled to Lacey to face Timberline. So we don't know what happened because the school officials in the district won't say they were suspended uh, because school district spokesperson Danielle Chastain Declined to answer. She said, I can't speak to that. That's all she said. It wasn't a suspension, but they didn't play. When asked what the district would call it, if not a suspension, Chastain said she couldn't say. For privacy reasons and because it's still an open investigation, I'm not able to comment on what it is. Suspension and discipline are both inaccurate. Actions were taken. Our full coaching staffs are back at both schools. This sounds like something from the Sopranos. Did they have someone slice their tires? You know, make sure they couldn't drive, make sure they couldn't travel, and then keep everything off the books, not call it a suspension. It's better for PR if that stays under, you know, lock and key, but it's pretty uh, pretty mysterious. Gig Harbor Athletic Director Blair Suick and Gig Harbor Head Football Coach Darren Reeves declined to comment to the News Tribune, as did multiple assistant coaches who were disciplined. This is locked up tight. Chastain told the News Tribune an investigation remains ongoing with several incidents stemming from the fishbowl. Now, here's where things start to clear up a little bit. Maybe we have a motive. Tempers from coaches flared after a late hit by a Peninsula player sent Gig Harbor Tides quarterback Coy Calhoun to the hospital with a broken jaw. This is the fishbowl, Coy. This ain't a Koi pond. We're not here to seek serenity and relax. We're here to hurt you. But the plot thickens. Trainers tended to Calhoun while he was down. But approximately 10 minutes passed before an on-scene 
paramedics unit arrived and began tending to him. They were delayed because they were dealing with an intoxicated student in a porta potty. Now, a fishbowl is a type of drink as well, not just this esteemed rivalry game. And if you sip on it a little too long, not advocating for or encouraging underage drinking, I will say that the connection is a little suspicious. Do they do the fishbowl before the fishbowl get in trouble in the porta potty? That is on the table, at least for me. I'm not investigating this, but I have my eyes on the story because there are too many things going on. And it, we're not done. It took approximately 30 minutes to get Calhoun onto a stretcher, through the crowd and off the field, into the ambulance and transported to Tacoma General Hospital. The ambulance couldn't reach the field due to the massive crowd surrounding the field's track. The fishbowl annually attracts thousands of fans, creating logistical challenges at Roy Anderson Field, which isn't equipped with enough seating to accommodate crowds of that size. A lot of eyes on the fishbowl. You're playing in that arena, and it's just you and the team across the sideline from you. No one's feeding you food. No one's playing with you. They're watching to see who wins this battle. Fin to fin, who's going to take down the other team's tail. So moving forward, we will continue to review logistical considerations such as capacity, safety, and security related to Roy Anderson Field, the school district said. Now, this is the cherry on top. Going to get back to the coaches in a minute. But according to Calhoun's parents, Katie and Mitch, they allege the Peninsula player tackled Calhoun and began punching him after his helmet came off. They filed a police report with the Pierce County Sheriff's Department the Sunday following the game and told the News Tribune they were considering legal action. The Pierce County Sheriff's Department responds, very well-sourced interview and article here from the News Tribune. Great job. You didn't just set an AI up and tell him to do some chat GPT. You did some gumshoe investigation here on the fishbowl, and I will applaud that. I will applaud that till the cows come home, till the foot, till the fish swim home. Pierce County Sheriff's Department spokesperson Sergeant Darren Moss said they haven't seen any video that shows what happened definitively after the hit, but doesn't believe punching occurred. So we've got some discrepancies. What was reported by mom does not seem like it'd be realistic, he said. The referee was right there. Okay, let's back up to last week's episode. I pointed out the fact that around the country, schools, districts, these football teams are having trouble getting a lot of referees. Referees with eye discipline. Referees who know the rules. Referees who are paying attention. Veterans out there on the field. So just because the referee was right there does not mean he saw it. With all due respect, Sheriff, this could be a referee that was a little green, a little wet behind the ears. And I don't know if that porta potty was in eyesight, but if you see a large crowd around a porta potty, you're going to want to watch. Is it possible that the referee, the official on the field, was a little distracted by the fishbowl? intoxicated student in the porta potty and missed the punch. It's certainly on the table and we can't rule it out at this point. I'm going to hear out mom and dad. They saw what they thought they saw. Coy got his jaw broke. And what do you think happened after that? I think that the coaches of Gig Harbor might've taken things into their own hands. The officials aren't going to do it. 
the paramedics aren't going to do it, well, we're going to roll up our sleeves and handle this too. Whatever happened, the fishbowl will never be the same. Next year is not going to be a couple salmon swimming around in the fishbowl. It's going to be a couple betta fish, baby. And you know what happens when you let two of those things square off. If you don't, it isn't pretty. Keeping our eyes on the fishbowl. Circle your calendars for next season. All right, heading south and east from the Pacific Northwest. Compass is all screwed up. Going to Texas. This week is the week of Friday, October 13th. I was tagged in this story on Go Coffee Town on X. And I got to tell you, I've never heard of this before, but I'm spooked. The San Saba football team, according to BigCountryHomePage.com, Texas outlet that covers high school football, and they do a great job. San Saba's football stadium is full of history, and not just because of the memories made via the Friday Night Lights, but because the stadium once served as the town's cemetery. (sighs) Take a deep breath with me, okay? We got boys playing out there on top of dead bodies and skeletons. Let's hear some history about it. Since 1856, this lot of land has belonged to the Rogan family. All right, if Joe Rogan's involved, all bets are off. Joe Rogan is in Texas now. He does a show from out there. He should consider doing a show on the San Saba football field if he's not too scared. No amount of UFC is going to protect you against the undead. Okay? So strap up and go see what you can take on. See if you're ready for the challenge. San Saba does it half a football season every single year. Football field was once a graveyard for Civil War soldiers and early settlers up until 1878. That's a lot of people. When commissioner's court stopped all new burials in 1935, San Saba was donated the land from the Rogan family. In that same year, the city set to remove all bodies, monuments, tombs, grave markers, shrubs, and trees. They wanted it all gone. And who could blame them? They got some new land. They want to repurpose it. They don't want bones under there. They don't want coffins. They don't want tombstones. That's unsightly. We don't need this when we put in a you know high school football stadium in a couple decades here. According to Ronnie Schultz, San Saba high school football coach at the time of the interview here, some of these bodies were not removed due to not having family members to claim them. Most of these people now rest in city cemetery. Schultz learned this from a past friend named James. Only has one name, knows all the details about the San Saba graveyard. Here's what, he, here's what James said. He said that he remembers the bulldozers coming in to clear the land. Hold on. James is old enough to remember the cemetery being cleared out, which happened in 1935. Were there bulldozers there? Or is James a spirit who roams the field and saw bulldozers there at a later date? Not sure, but I'm going to continue. A few of the bodies' remains didn't get claimed, so they just bulldozed the tombstones in and left them there. There wasn't many, Schultz recalled. Before the land was cleared, the city had reached out to the families of 18 to 25 gravestones and asked for them to relocate the bodies. Not everyone claimed these markers, and it is not known how many remain today. It used to be used as a fairgrounds, 
People didn't keep up with it. San Saba took it over, and it eventually became a football stadium. Well, you can't help it. You kind of have that feeling, especially if you're on the graveyard on Halloween or Friday the 13th, knowing that there's actually remains of San Saba city citizens under us. We're the only ones that can say we built our local football stadium on a legitimate graveyard, said Lackey. Don't know if you can corroborate that. I'm sure there have to be at least a handful of other ones buried on graveyards, whether they're legitimate or illegitimate, Coach, but I see where you're coming from. Today, many citizens have called the stadium the graveyard and have hung up signs. Many stories have spread about this unique place, although it is hard to tell which ones are facts and which ones are myths. I had a person tag me about this place on uh, on X and there are stories there that bones will still randomly pop out of the ground. And that's the kind of home field advantage that every team is looking for. You're trying to run free, break for daylight, you got good blocking and then boom, five bony fingers reach up and take you down by the shoelaces. You're running a uh, halfback toss, you're a fullback lead blocker. Oh, sorry. You're going to trip on these skeleton bones. Uh, hey, kicker, is that your T for your PAT or is that a skeleton's eye? Are those teeth? Now, uh, San Saba does play a football game on Friday the 13th. Unfortunately for them, they are on the road. They play at Bangs. The San Saba Armadillas play at Bangs, the Bangs Dragons. Bangs is one and five. San Saba's two and five. See what you got out there. See if you got a couple loose bones you can bring with you for a little home field help. And uh, see if Bangs is ready for that Friday the 13th express of the San Saba Armadillo Graveyard. It travels. All right, coming up, we have a story from a real listener about the time their coach tried to install a brand new offense at a highway rest station hours before kickoff. All right, this story is from our listener, Chris Yao, who submitted this via the Go Coffee Town Your Story portal. There's a link to it in this show's description. You can share yours on Go Coffee Town on X or Instagram, DM us, or share it with the portal like Chris Yao did if you got a little bit of a longer story. And this is a great one. Sophomore year in high school, Chris says, we've been running the single wing Notre Dame box all year. And we're about to play a team we beat 84-48 the year before. I won't break down the intricacies of the single wing Notre Dame box, but it's old school offense. And it is not a simple thing to prepare for. Clearly, when you win 84-48, you want to go on the way to the game and and just kind of dance with what brung you. Well, that's not what Chris's coach did. We're on the way to the game in all caps, Chris says. And our coach, a former All-American at Auburn, he's not throwing him under the bus, but the bus did stop at a rest area on I-59 North. We all get out, and he puts in an entire new set, a brand new offense, the day of the game, at a rest station. You'll see a lot of things at a rest station. You'll see several out-of-order toilets, some domestic disputes, uh, old bag of peanut M&Ms that's been in the 
vending machine for about 38 years, maybe some lovers meeting up for the first time, a whole lot of truckers taking a nap. And on this day, a high school football team installing a brand new offense. We're now running the wing tee with just one quarterback behind center. How'd it go? Well, Chris's team lost 47 to 20. Let this serve as a lesson to all the high school football coaches out there. Dance with what brung you. Don't change up your offense the day of the game, the week of the game. And don't do it at a high school football rest stop. And certainly don't do it all on the same day. You want to take your team to the rest stop to change up the scenery on like a Tuesday? Keep their attention. You know, let them, good luck keeping their attention. There's a lot of distractions, as I mentioned. That's fine. But don't do it the day of the game, coach. All due respect to the Auburn All-American. And speaking of the Tigers, we got a former Tiger on Go Fight Win this week, Cole Kublik. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
All right, our guest played center for the Auburn Football Tigers. He's a sideline analyst for the SEC Network and co-host of McElroy and Kublik in the morning. But more importantly, before all that, he was an all-state lineman and part of a state championship team in high school. He is Cole Kublik. What's up, Cube? What's up, Wes? How you doing, man? I appreciate you having me. Yeah, man. Uh, I just want to kind of go down memory lane with you. And uh, we've had some great guests from around the Southeastern Conference footprint. You are our first Auburn Tiger, though. So uh, glad that you can represent the War Eagles. Let's start off with your high school football career and where you played ball. Where did you uh, earn your stripes as a high schooler? Played high school football at Homewood High School. Uh, I grew up, I live in Homewood now. I grew up here. I think my mom moved here when I was two years old. My parents were divorced and uh, was in the Homewood school system my entire life and played baseball, played football. I didn't play my first year of organized football until uh, eighth grade and played eighth grade football at Homewood Middle School. And then I had a, had a weird high school career with it, with injuries. Um, Missed my freshman season because of a broken wrist and actually a torn ACL, which I would not have repaired, which would kind of come back to haunt me my senior year. Um, broke my collarbone my sophomore year, didn't play. And then uh, junior year, thankfully, did enough to be able to get noticed. And uh, we, made a, we made a playoff run my junior year as well. Lost in the championship game to Greenville. A uh, kid named Michael Fagan that would go play DB in Alabama ran all over us. And then uh, senior year, not exactly what I was hoping for. Team did great, but I uh, I had some knee issues and uh, didn't didn't get the play time that I wanted to uh, that whole year. But it was I love my coaches. Uh, Bob Newton is still somebody that I say is very responsible for molding me into the person that I am today. I have the utmost respect for him. His first year as our head coach was actually my senior year, but he was my position coach too, my junior year. So he's a guy that I still talk to to this day. Just a fantastic human being and. It was a lot of memories, a lot of fun memories, that's for sure. Yeah, I uh, I had too many concussions playing high school ball and actually had to hang it up my senior year. And being around your team in a weird way is still like the only thing you can do. So when you were injured and hurt and trying to get back, what were those moments like while you were watching your buddies still get to go out there and strap up? It was not. It was fun watching them have success, but I'll say – it taught me a lot of life lessons on on how to manage emotion and just how to deal with adversity because it wasn't easy. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you, Wes. It was it was hard because I thought, you know, I was one of the leaders of the team, if not the leader of the team. I was a guy that I thought they were going to have to rely on to win football games, and they go out and they win a state championship, and I'm on the sideline. I got I had a pivot shift in the first game, and I would have to have that knee scoped, and then I came back, rehabbed it. And came back, I think, in our sixth game. Same thing happened. I tried to block a punt like an idiot. And uh, same thing happened again, and that was it. They said, we have to shut you down. I had had ACL surgery on Halloween, actually on Halloween, my senior year of high school, and uh, missed the rest of the year. So I was so happy for those guys because I grew up with a lot of them. We played Little League baseball and you know played middle school football and high school football together. Those are my, those are my guys, and I wanted them to have success. But there, there was another part of me that just felt like I'm – I'm supposed to be a big reason that we're doing this and it, and it hurt in a lot of ways. So it was a tough year, man. It, it really was. But thankfully, uh, Terry Bowden and Auburn, Rodney Allison recruited me. They stuck by me and um, I, I still got the scholarship offer to go play at Auburn. Well, clearly, yeah, you made the most of it when you weren't banged up. 
what number did you wear in all of your sporting endeavors? Did you have the same number on all your uniforms or did you switch it up for different sports? Yeah, I, I, I was switched up. I was 33 in baseball. Um, I worshiped Jose Canseco in high school. And uh, that was the reason for that. And then I was 78 in football my junior year. I would switch to 90 my senior year because they wanted me to play some tight end. And I told them, I said, the only way I'm playing tight end is if you get me 90. And the wow. year before, we didn't even have – I mean, this shows you how different stuff is today. Like, we didn't yeah. even have 90 numbers, any of them. Like, my high school just didn't have them. And so they ordered me a 90, and I was going to wear 90 my senior year, play some tight end as well. Um, obviously, didn't, didn't get to do that a whole lot. But I wore 78 because of Bruce Smith. I played defensive line, and he was my favorite defensive lineman to watch when I was when I was – growing up and uh, I didn't play down of offense in high school, my junior year or my senior year. So uh, I was like the blocking dummy. We would go over to offensive line individual and I would be the, one of the defensive linemen that go against every day. Just, it just kind of happened that way, but ended up being good. So yeah, 78 uh, football, I wore 59 in middle school. My dad convinced me 59 was a cool number because of Jack ham. My dad's a Steelers fan. And yeah. uh, so I wore 59 in middle school and then I wore 78, in high school and then 90 in high school as well. 90 is pretty hard for a tight end, man. I don't care what level you're playing at. Y'all were the Patriots. <laughs> I looked that up. So I imagine yep. you were red, white, and blue. Were you oh, yeah. uh, wearing any modifications on your uniform, any neck rolls, cowboy collars, anything oh, like that? Yeah. Had the cowboy collar. I'm going to I'm gonna step here and see if I can find this helmet for you real quick. Hold on a second. Uh, I wore the cowboy collar, and that was that was pretty sweet. David Cowboy collar, the black one, and I would take it off. I took it off because it, uh, I, it just I wanted to kind of be a little bit lighter, you know. Like I kind of moved into that Ed McCaffrey mold where it was. We went. We all went from how much stuff can we have on to, yeah, man, it's a lot. It's a lot easier when you don't have all this garbage on. So here's the helmet right there. Look at that. And obviously that that Pat pa Pat Patriot logo is by far the best Patriots logo that there is. Oh, for I sure. It's beautiful. So we had the visor as well. Now, as you can see, this was the old school. Like you literally had to use like plastic ties. Yeah, you got the, the zip ties on. in there. <laughs> I'll tell you, you had to hold it on. Now, I actually didn't play a full game with this on. Um, I tried it. And it was our first game against Mountain Brook. And I mean, you can imagine like end of August, early September, whatever it was in central Alabama. Um, after I came off after the first series, I couldn't see a damn thing. Like literally, it was like completely fogged up, soaking yep. wet. And I'm, I'm just like, I, so I tried one more series I, and it was just worse. I was like, I can't see. So I had our trainer, I had him cut it off <clears throat> on the sideline. So I wore that for, you know, like nine or 10 plays total. And then I, I put it back on after I was done um, because I was I, I kind of practiced like I was going to play again, but I really wasn't going to get back out there. So, yeah, 
I did try the visor, but it didn't stay on because I couldn't see anything when, when we were actually out there playing. Well, it still looks mean, man. And that face mask, I don't know when they switched those up, but that thick, like it's almost like layered up with paint or that plastic oh, or yeah. rubber or whatever they had on it. No one's getting any fingers in there, man. No, I mean, that thing is heavy too, like yeah. that face mask. And you can see how, how, how the quality that's just stayed there is that's just like ripped off at some point. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. And now, of course, you never wanted them to clean your helmet back in the day. Like I remember, like they would always try to clean them up, and you're like, no, 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 no. Like leave all the scratches on there. I want, I want that thing to look like it has been through a garbage disposal when I'm playing every <laughs> that's, weekend. That's the goal for sure. Well, tell me about your main rival. Who did you grow up hating? Um, it's funny because it's very different now. Um, ours was ours. We had a couple. We were, I think we were kind of like the LSU. Uh, you know, the over the mountain area is. You know, you have Homewood, Vestavia, Mountain Brook, Hoover. And back then, Hoover was Barry. And we had, we we dominated Barry in just about everything. And then when they annexed half the state and became Hoover, uh, they were a little bit more competitive. But all of those were rivals to us. And probably Vestavia was our biggest rival. They were um they were six A, we were five A. And uh, we had some battles with them. Uh, they had a, they had some really good players, some really good teams, and and then there there also Irwin was a team that was in our area, and not necessarily as geographically close as those other schools that I said, but we played them in an area game and a playoff game. Um, John Carroll High School was a Catholic high school that was right, literally probably two miles from our school. We played them in the regular season and in the postseason one year. Uh, smoked them in the postseason. Uh, one of my better games. They had a quarterback named Brooks Bryan that was ambidextrous, and he would oh, roll wow. to the right and throw right-handed, and he would roll to the left and throw left-handed. He was a super athlete, really good player. Uh, but yeah, we were. It was kind of weird because I don't think we had the one that you circled every year um, because of the proximity. Like Homewood, Mountain Brook, Vestavia, Hoover, like kind of played in everything. Uh, even though we might not have been in the same classification or the same area. Uh, we always played in like baseball, basketball, football, and, and wrestling, everything. So we just, we, there was a lot of familiarity with those teams. Y'all just had a lot of hate for everybody. Pretty much. Yeah. That's it. I mean, we, we were, we were the SEC before the SEC became, we love to hate more than we love to love. That was basically us back then. <laughs> All right, Hugh Freeze. Uh, so when I say high school sports, and you mentioned one of your coaches earlier, but who's the coach that, you know, whether he, molded you, mentored you, or when you and your buddies get together and, and talk about your own glory days, y'all still laugh about them. Who was that coach to you that was just that quintessential guy that defined your high school experience? The one guy would be Bob Newton. He was he was our offensive line coach, so I spent a lot of time with him there, and then he became our head coach my senior year. But his son's um, Ross and Bert were Ross was a lot younger than me. I think five years younger than me. Bert was a year younger than me. And so he, he coached little league baseball teams that I was on multiple years. Like I, I knew him growing up. And so he literally was like another father to me and a big reason why I was, I mean, he kept me in check a lot. Uh, cause you can imagine, you know, young kid that's kind of bigger, stronger, faster than the other kids. Dad doesn't live in town. Like mom lets him get away with some things. It can, it, it got loose in a hurry. <laughs> and, and he kept me in check um, quite often. And he was one of those guys that uh, he played offensive line at Samford. 
and from Russellville, Alabama. And he was one of those guys that, you know, probably in the weight room wouldn't be throwing up like 400 pounds on the bench or anything. But like when he grabbed you, you, you could tell he could have done some damage. Like, I mean, just like just country strong and just, he was one of those innocent, intimidating figures where he, he didn't have to MF you all the time. He didn't have to get in your face and yell at you, but like he was intimidating in his own very different kind of a kind way. Um, Bob Newton was all of that to me and more. Uh, but we had some characters, man. Like we had a guy named Rip Harmon was our DB coach and he was the guy that took care of the field. And I, I, I think he loved our practice field and our game field more than he did his children because, and I'll say this, our game field, we played at Waldrop stadium. It's Bob Newton field. Now that field, when I played on it in high school was in better condition than some of the Southeastern conference fields I played on. And I'm not, that's not being sarcastic. I mean, it was freaking pristine every Friday night. Like I loved playing at that place. And you know, in high school football, Wes, you play some places you're like, all right, you know, make sure you get the, the glass and the rocks out of here on every series. Yeah. If you see some, throw them to the side. Our, our field was immaculate. And Rip Harmon was just, he was a character. Dickie Wright was our defensive coordinator. He was my head coach in middle school. And then he would come up and be our D coordinator in high school. So he was the guy I spent a ton of time with. He still lives here in Homewood. I see him floating around all the time. Um, so he was a guy that, that I had a lot of fun with. So he was, he was a really cool guy. And then uh, Bobby Statham was our baseball coach. And he was like basically Bill Dance coaching baseball. Like he was like this super outdoorsman country guy, but just hilarious. Like always funny. Love playing baseball for him. We had a we had a strong cast of characters that were coaching at Homewood High School back in the day. That sounds like a good mix, man. You need that. You need the the strong role model, but you also need to have somebody that lightens the mood a little bit for you. One more and I'll let you run, Cole. Uh, always ask before we wrap up here, do you remember one or two or however many songs on your pregame playlist on your Walkman or CD player, whatever you had going back then that would fire you up before your games? You mentioned Walkman, and that's funny because we had this conversation, uh, McElroy and I did on our radio show one morning, and I was trying to explain because we have a producer, Damien, who's like 26, and our other producer, John's around my age. You know, Greg's a little bit younger. And I was trying to explain to them the difficulties of managing a disc man back in the day. Hmm. And I had a 1980 Impala. I had a bench seat in the front and I had towels that were strategically stacked up in the middle of the bench seat. And my buddy, Jonathan Krosky, who lived in my apartment complex, he would ride to school with me every day. And it was usually outcast, maybe a little bit of Wu-Tang Clan. And we had the disc man on the towels and we had speed bumps in our apartment complex. So Obviously, you hit the speed bumps, it's skipping, and you know, you're going to miss like four verses of the song. And it might be half the trip to high school before the thing came back on. <laughs> and so I was trying to, because the conversation we had was like, what was the most life-changing technology alteration that you recall when you were growing up? And for me, it was the, it was the anti-skip protection. Like when that Discman Sport came out, and you could sit there and shake it, and it wouldn't skip, <laughs> I mean, that's that's a life alteration right there, man. But I, that didn't come till college. But pregame, um, we probably had some ACDC. Uh, I like we. There was some weird stuff that I like. Like I would listen to the Terminator Two soundtrack. Dude, that um, soundtrack is games. pretty tough, though. Oh, so there's like three songs on there 
like the one where he's getting he lowers down into the lava. I mean, it is it's hard, and it's just yeah. like that. That kind of stuff got me cranked up back in the day. Um, probably some ice cube was on there. Uh, you get some death certificate. We we would play still. We rolled with that one in high school, in uh, college and high school. A little bit of Wu Tang Clan later on. So yeah, those those would have been uh, my go tos of a pregame. I'm ready to play right now. Cole, where can uh, people find more <laughs> Cole Kublik? Uh, McElroy Kublik in the morning is 7 to 10 a.m. Central on jocksfm.com. You can get the app. Just search WJOX. Roman Harper and I do Read and React 6 p.m. Central Monday Great nights job. on the SEC Network. Thank you. And uh, I'm on the Saturday Night SEC Network broadcast this weekend. We will be in Knoxville, South Carolina at Tennessee. And you can find my podcast every Sunday, Cube Show, on YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts, at Cube Show 61 on YouTube. Uh, please subscribe to that like that. We all we, we go through the film on Sundays, and I tell you what I saw from all the games. So thankfully, only seven games this week, which is going to save me like three hours of film study. So it'd be nice. Hey, man, you're in a groove. You're in a rhythm right now. This is uh, your, your time. So I appreciate it and appreciate you giving some of it to uh, go fight win, man. No, I appreciate you having me. This is really cool what you're doing uh, because just talk having this conversation with you brought back so many fun memories. It's uh, it's I think it's the best part of a lot of our lives and and will be, and it's just amazing. Much obliged, Cole Kublik. I respect that man. He knows his stuff uh, when it comes to college football, and he has a great high school football story to share. Talented dude, but had to learn about perspective, not getting able to play every single time. There's a lot of that in life, and you learn a lot of life lessons in high school football. Sometimes you learn some extreme ones, like watch out for coach's wife if she's got a cell phone, or uh, you might have a broken jaw, but sorry, we got to tend to the drunk kid in the porta potty, or we're playing on a haunted field, or we're learning a new offense at a rest stop. That's the kind of stories we like to share here on Go Fight Win. I hope that you enjoy listening to them, and I hope that you have some that you're willing to share. And please continue to share this show with your loved ones, those you respect and admire in your high school football lives as well. Go Fight Win drops every Thursday on every platform that exists other than a walkie-talkie. It's there for you, audio only, video only. And if you're listening, there's a link to all the things that I spoke about today, so you can get a visual on it as well. We do a lot for our listeners here at Go Fight Win, and that will continue as this show continues to grow, Lord willing. Y'all have a great week. Be careful. It's Friday the 13th. Don't find yourself on a haunted football field after the lights go out. Peace. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.